0: Hello, and welcome back to Sustainability Savvy. Today is episode four. Thank you for joining us. And we're going to be talking about different renewable energy sources and their pros and cons. Um, Pretty simple, but I want to give you an overview of different kinds of renewable energy sources, um, a little bit about how they work. And they all sort of have their own pros and cons, so we'll go through that as well. But just as an overview to start, Renewable energy is defined as energy derived from sources that can be replenished or renewed, usually within a human lifetime. So the main sources that I'm going to talk about today are hydroelectric, solar, wind, geothermal, and nuclear, which technically nuclear is not considered a renewable energy source, but it is an alternative from fossil fuels, so I also wanted to include that in this episode. So for a little bit of an overview, um, currently in the United States, renewables make up about 20% of the energy that we produce. And that is according to the Energy Information Administration. And unfortunately, 20% is not very much, but that's a lot better than it was a few decades ago. And it's been developing really rapidly to decrease the prices, especially with solar and um, be more efficient so good news that we are on the up and up every day of course but obviously still a long way to go as well if we're going to try and combat the greenhouse gases and stuff that are obviously causing climate change and according to the department of energy one of the great things is that there are just over 8 million jobs in renewable energy as of today in the united states So these jobs have been growing at a rapid rate and oftentimes they are a lot safer and more well-paying than alternative jobs people may have already in a fossil fuel industry, especially things like coal and oil rigs and stuff like that. So there are definitely economic benefits also to renewable energy. One of the other benefits that I want to bring up is... Um, domestic energy production, allowing us to be independent of other countries. People will sometimes bring up that we, you know, have enough oil and coal and whatever to domestically produce our own energy and not depend on other nations, which is true in theory, I guess. But also something I don't hear people talk about very much is the concept of domestic energy production. And how renewables are an avenue to get there in the United States because we have so much um, landmass and unused resources that we can harness for renewable energy that are going to be a lot better alternatives for our population's health, for the environment's health, than our current usage of fossil fuels. And so I think trying to look at these things from a positive perspective is helpful because this is the future that we're looking at and that we need to be looking at for innovation and for those new sources of energy that are going to provide us a healthier, cleaner world for ourselves, for the environment. And it's, at this point, not a want, not a hope. It's a need. We have to start doing these things And it's definitely it's going to require upfront investment from either from the private sector, from the government and all of those things working together to do this from policymakers, of course, which unfortunately, in my opinion, have been lagging quite behind in a lot of the environmental policies. But this is kind of what we're looking at. And so I'm going to walk you through, like I said, the different types of energy. And kind of a brief overview of each one and its pros, cons, the way it works in a brief overview. I'm certainly not an expert on each one of these individual things, but overall I do have a lot of knowledge about these renewables. And so first I want to get into hydroelectric, which is one of the oldest forms of renewable energy that we have. There are quite a lot of hydroelectric plants in the United States especially um, in a more eastern region. I won't say east coast because people get really picky about what that means, but um, there are definitely a lot more waterways to work with on that side of the country. And hydroelectric works by basically harnessing the water from streams or rivers and using that to turn the turbines Um, which then generates electricity. Usually turbines work by turning a large electromagnet, which is what then generates the electricity for anyone who's not familiar with the word turbine, but something I will say a lot in this episode, I'm sure. So that's generally what we're looking at here. And a lot of times hydroelectric is created with dams pretty much is the usual course of action and usually that creates a reservoir behind it and this requires flooding an entire area in order to make that reservoir sometimes there are already homes there or um, agricultural land orchards things like that and it can be really disruptive to the people that could be living there or the ecosystem and in the past there have had to be you know efforts to mitigate this or to clear people out before a dam is built because it does create such a huge change one really landmark case about this was about the endangered species act and the delta smelt which are an endangered species of fish And this was a whole thing decades ago where the Endangered Species Act basically said you can't build a dam because there's an endangered species where this is its habitat. But people were really pushing for the dam because they needed the power. Um, So much had already been invested in it. And the dam eventually got built and it unfortunately kind of weakened the Endangered Species Act. But this is something that we see a lot with being harmful to fish and aquatic life in the area. I don't know if anyone has seen the salmon tubes that they've used with some dams, um, which basically it's exactly what it sounds like. They have a pump with a tube and the salmon can swim up it basically to get over the dam because salmon are migrating fish. So they have to be able to migrate in order to spawn. And that's, an interesting, you know, method of getting around it. So there are definitely things we can do, or they also have salmon ladders, which um, salmon can kind of jump or climb up. It's kind of like a big ramp with a bunch of water flowing down it that they can swim up. And that's another possible method to help with these um, fish and other aquatic life not getting as disrupted by... Power plants like this, but we're not really seeing as much hydroelectric energy anymore. There's a lot of focus on wind and heavily, heavily on solar. So that brings me into the next one. Yeah, so solar, many people are familiar with this. You might see it around your neighborhood, hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, And obviously the premise is to harness the sun's energy into electricity and so these are usually these big cells that are on top of like rooftops i've seen them make solar cars which are you know in development not road ready but there's a lot of cool stuff going on with that even small things sometimes like um like a camping lantern will be a little solar powered light so they can really be all over the place and that's a testament to how much cheaper solar technology has gotten. It's become a lot more accessible through um, especially a lot of government subsidy and stuff like that and, you know, innovations in technology. Also, you know, the general trend of how it works is when a technology is more widely adapted, it gets continues to get cheaper and cheaper. And so we see that happening a lot with solar here in the U.S., which is great. Now, as for the difficulties with solar, um, obviously, it only works during the day when the sun is out, so that can definitely be a burden because a lot of people get home in the evening right around or right after the sun has already set, and that's when, with the power grid, our collective usage goes up a lot, and so having a way to store it is really important, but that's when we get into a lot of the issues of these electric batteries, you know, that storage takes up a lot of space and it's also requires those rare earth metals that we talk about a lot, like with electric vehicles and um, that has its own sustainability issues in and of itself. So it, it definitely can be great, but it also honestly works best on a wider grid system versus like an individual home system because that it can be counterbalanced by other forms of energy but it's definitely difficult to manage that demand in some ways but emphasis on the but that doesn't mean that it's not possible and it doesn't mean that solar is bad by any means so there's definitely a lot that we can do to harness that power. Another form of solar that you may not have heard about is called concentrated solar. And basically, this is where there's a big tower. And the way it works is basically by taking these mirrors that will be powered usually by some sort of computer that points specifically to concentrate the sun's rays right into the large tower, and there are receivers that heat up really, really hot from all the concentrated power, and then they create steam, which turns turbines, um, and that generates electricity. So it's a similar concept, but it's done on um, a large scale, usually out in remote areas like deserts and things. Um, I live in LA, and driving out to Palm Springs, I've seen them. So they're definitely around. And it's estimated that they could provide up to a quarter of the world's energy needs by 2050, which is really exciting. So this is definitely something that can be harnessed a lot for developing countries as well, which is something that we're going to have to look at as a global community because developing nations need to improve their quality of life, improve their economy, just as the United States and a lot of western european countries and stuff did when we industrialized that was all a lot of it done in earlier centuries where we didn't in some ways have to worry about that because nobody knew what climate change was yet or any of that but there are now so many people on the earth that we're going to have to invest in these developing countries and their needs as they are continuing to do that and help to contribute these renewable technologies and stuff that are going to be less harmful to the planet that we all obviously share. And that's something that we can look to. So turning a new chapter, we're also going to talk about wind. And this is probably the most straightforward it can get. Hopefully you've seen the big wind turbines somewhere, either a photo or in person. And they're large farms usually of these white wind turbines and the wind turns the blades and the blades then turn a turbine which generates electricity so that's about as simple of an explanation as you could possibly get and this tends to generate more energy at night which can be useful to help complement solar which i talked about generates the most during the day makes sense and Yeah, there tends to be more wind at night, so this works in the opposite way a lot of times. The unfortunate thing about wind is that there's been a lot of controversy over wind turbines, both on land and offshore, causing harm to wildlife. Now, when we're talking about offshore, there are large organisms like whales and things that can run into these giant turbines that are you know, the columns going into the water, which is unfortunate, obviously, because that's, you know, one of the main reasons that we are switching to renewables is to be more environmentally friendly. Um, and also, one of the other ones that's a concern is definitely birds getting um, hit by the giant blades from the turbines. Um, and so it's definitely something to be conscious of when People are developing these technologies and where to place them. That's something that has to largely come into consideration. And it's also unfortunate that some of these things are experimental in a way. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily think about that fact because, you know, it's like if there's any crack or flaw In these technologies, people will be quick to dismiss them sometimes, but it's the best thing we have right now. Unfortunately, we can't continue to go the same way that we're going with fossil fuels and by far, by millions of yards of feet, (laughs) fossil fuels are much worse for the environment and for our health than any of these technologies are at least at this current point, and I only anticipate them continuing to get better and get more efficient. So I think we as a a world have to invest in these and invest in researching better ways to create these renewable technologies because there can be a lot of waste and there still can be obviously harm done when we're not considerate of like animal migratory patterns and what's going to happen to the waste when these things break or are retired after, you know, 30, 40, 50 years. So there are definitely things that have to be thought about and have to be reconciled in the future, but it doesn't also mean that we can't take action now and at least take steps to be better and use better technology. And move away from fossil fuels in the ways that we can right now versus waiting for the day for some perfect miracle technology to come along and save us all, which is not going to happen. We have to do what we can now and that's all we can do and keep pushing forward and searching for new and better ways to continue moving forward. So one of the other ones... That I want to talk about now is geothermal and this is one that is not as well known especially in the U.S. but a country that's very famous for using a lot of this power is Iceland and basically geothermal um geo is means earth and thermal is heat of course so using the heat from the earth's crust to heat up water which then the steam turns a turbine as well so kind of like the concentrated solar, both using steam to turn a turbine. The main reason we don't have many of these in the United States is because they are dependent usually on hot spots in the Earth, which is usually a place where the Earth's crust is pretty thin, and so that heat is kind of rising up, almost if you think of like a volcano, but um, kind of under the surface. Like it hasn't popped up into a volcano yet, but it's kind of just right under there. And so Iceland has a lot of these geothermal hotspots, so they are able to harness this power to provide a lot of renewable energy for themselves, which is super cool. And this also requires drilling into the earth quite a ways down in some cases, and so that can definitely be a barrier and a large expense to creating these types of plants so there's a reason we don't really see a ton of them in the united states we just don't really have the necessary components from our natural environment to make that possible finally switching over to another sort of topic i want to talk about nuclear this part might be a little bit longer because Nuclear is definitely a heated topic among environmentalists in some ways, and it can be really controversial. But as of right now in the US, a lot of nuclear plants are being retired or going to be retired in the next few decades. And in my personal opinion, I find this unfortunate. I know there's a lot of people out there who are scared of nuclear power, and that is so understandable given the events of Chernobyl of Seven Mile Island in the U.S. And a lot of that happened during kind of the boomer generation eras, and so that's kind of tainted a lot of the public perception of nuclear power, which is completely fair. But given these things, I also would like to mention how There have been zero deaths for employees of nuclear plants in the United States, and it's actually one of the safest jobs to have because it is so, so highly managed and highly locked down, and there's such a focus on every step being correct and safety because of the nature of nuclear reactions. So... In a lot of ways, it definitely can actually be safer than what people think it is, but when things go wrong, they do evidently go very wrong a lot of the time, and so we have to be conscious of that in the future if it comes to building new nuclear plants, especially when it comes to location, because more remote locations are going to be ultimately safer for the human population And that's something to consider when we're looking at the future of our energy. Um, Another huge benefit of nuclear energy is that it is extremely efficient and it provides a lot, a lot, a lot of power for extremely little um, material. Basically, the way that it works is nuclear fission, which means that they're dividing a molecule And they use uranium for this, and that creates a chain reaction with a massive amount of heat and energy. Uranium is generally a pretty plentiful resource on the Earth. It does have to be mined, unfortunately, so that is a downside of nuclear. But it only takes a very, very small amount to produce these reactions. And so when people are talking about nuclear waste, it's absolutely... A problem that we will have to address in the future even as nuclear currently is being phased out in a lot of ways there's still that waste left over from you know even decades ago and that continues to degenerate into radioactive material and the question is what do we do with that so um there have been a lot of debates in the u.s about trying to find places to bury it and things like that and Unfortunately, that's the main kind of barrier with nuclear energy and that's the main environmental concern as well, which 100% I acknowledge and that makes complete sense. Um, However, it's one of the lowest emissions and most efficient forms of energy, even among renewables. And the power plants are extremely expensive to build. But nuclear is something that can be produced around the clock. It doesn't matter if it's night or day, rain or shine, the location really, as long as it's away from, you know, large population centers, it's a good solution to be able to provide that constant power that we do currently get from fossil fuels. And that is something that has to be taken into consideration in some ways, because the way that our current electric grid is in the United States, there are two different types, and one is called direct current, which is DC, and one is called alternating current, known as AC. And basically, the whole US, for the most part, is on direct current because our grid system is really old, and it was developed to work from you know, a main center, a power plant utility, going out to all the furthest places to your homes to your places of work farms all of that and basically forming a big web but now with things like solar and these other forms of energy there has to be a form of back and forth because if you have an excess of wind or solar at one point then you can pass that back into the grid from your home to another place that maybe needs it And a lot of the efficiency of these renewables depends on being able to pass that energy back and forth. And so that's why so many people have had to look at solutions like battery storage, because we currently don't have a system that works that way. And our energy grid definitely is sorely in need of an update in the U.S. And so that's a big, big infrastructure ask, of course, but looking forward and where we want to be in the US with our energy production, that's something that policymakers and the government are gonna to have to take into consideration when looking at these projects because they can't really just be brushed off. It's something that's going to have to happen. I mean the US was electrified for the most part in, you know, the nineteenth century, early, early twentieth century. And so all of that infrastructure, most of it is 100 years old at least. So we're going to have to replace a lot of these things no matter what. And so now it's just looking at how we're going to do that and possibly implementing alternating current rather than direct current, which is what we use right now. As you can tell, none of these technologies are a perfect solution, but they are kind of what we have in the toolkit right now. And that's what we have to look at currently and see how we can develop these things, how we can change them to make them better, while also acknowledging that we have to do something right now. I do want to throw in a quick little tidbit about a couple of other types of fuels that are kind of on the up and developing. One is biofuel, which is basically biological fuel and that could be anything from excess plant matter like corn ethanol is something that is made a lot to animal manure leftover cooking fat it can be all kinds of things that is a source of energy that is currently being worked on a lot virgin atlantic airlines just did a flight from the uk all the way to new york city on 70 percent biofuel for that flight so, that's a really exciting prospect for the future, especially for things like airplanes and other stuff that would be really difficult to use electric batteries or things like that for. So, biofuel is not zero emissions or anything, but it's basically carbon neutral because, you know, if you're growing something or using a waste product and then burning that, it's equaling out to whatever the carbon was that was stored and so as you continue to grow more corn for things like the corn ethanol then that's soaking up the carbon that is then burned by using the fuel so it's a net zero effect there are also developments in things like wave energy though it's not very large scale um, at this point in time There are thousands of new ideas happening every day, new patents that are being made in the U.S. Patent Office for different types of renewable energies or different ways of harnessing the ones that I already talked about. So there are a lot of possibilities on the horizon for what's next to come in renewable energy, but I just want to encourage all of my listeners to Stay positive about it, stay informed where you can, and please share this podcast with your friends if you think it's something that they would be interested in. And check out the Instagram and the TikTok page for Sustainability Savvy if you want to keep up on social media and get other extra content that I post on those accounts. So as always, keep it Sustainability Savvy, and I'll see you next time.